In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and unto the ages of all ages, Amen. I was asked to speak about St. Mary and service. Oh, oh, thank you. I was asked to speak about St. Mary and service. And I'm a very simple person, and I see things in very simple ways, and I hope that you won't get, uh, you won't get bored with my simplicity, and God will be able to bless um, me and bless you with something despite my simplicity. For me, service is very simple. Service is, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. For me, service is very simply defined as perceiving a need and responding to it. And I love service. I adore service. Serving God is, is my identity. I know that my truest identity is as a child of God. I know that's how God sees me. But I love serving Him and I love service. And I've read tons about service. And I've read tons of other definitions about service that are much more comprehensive. But honestly, what it boils down to is perceiving a need, seeing a need, hearing a need, and doing something about it. Jesus tells about a wise man and a foolish man, and the wise man built his house on the rock, and the foolish man built his house on the sand. And when the winds came and the storm came, what happened? One house stayed up, the other one fell. And then Jesus says, I'll tell you what this foolish man is like. He's like a man who came and listened, but he didn't do. The difference between the wise man and the foolish man is not that they came. You all came out. You all came out tonight and you're here. I'm so sorry to tell you that that doesn't qualify me, first and foremost, and you as the wise man. The foolish man came and he listened. What did the wise man do in addition? He did something. Tonight God is calling me and he's calling you to do something. Because service isn't just to hear about a need or to see a need, but to do something about it. And we're going we're gonna to talk all about that. I'm so blown away, I'm so blown away by St. Mary's response to the angel in the Annunciation. Not only does she say to him, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. That's where the Gospel of the Annunciation ends. And the Gospel of another I can't say feast because it's not actually a feast in the Coptic Church, but it's something worth celebrating. Another gospel begins immediately from the next verse. Let me read it to you. This is from Luke chapter 1, verse 36. It says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, who has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary's response that we know, 
Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Ends the gospel of the Annunciation. That was ends with verse 38. What's verse 39? What's the very next word after the angel departed from her? Glory be to God forever and ever, men. We can all go home. No. What's the very next word? The very next word is now. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Now she did it. Not tomorrow, not in a day or two, not later, not I don't know when. She did it now. Two things I, I couldn't help, I couldn't get them out of my head in reading this gospel and in thinking about St. Mary and service. The first is that she perceived the need. A lot of the time, I am completely blind to the needs of people around me. I want to ask you something. Why do I not perceive the needs of the people around me? There can be a multitude of reasons. Could be, I honestly think, I don't think that any of you are bad people. I don't think any of you are malicious people. I don't think any of you are lazy people. I don't think any of you are selfish people. We've all got a little bit of self in us and we're all working on it and we're going to mention that a little bit. But I honestly think that the world is dying and crying around us and you and I are completely oblivious. Like we just missed it. We totally missed it. Don't believe me? Let me tell you a story about some really good people. You remember a story about St. Peshoy and how he tells the monks that the Lord Jesus Christ will appear on the mountain and they're all climbing the mountain and they're all running up the mountain and the old man, the old beggar says, can you guys take me with you? And I bet you that most of those monks didn't even hear him. I bet you most of those monks didn't even see him. What's the difference between St. Peshoy, who stops and carries the Lord Jesus Christ up the mountain, and you and me, other great people, good people, God-loving people, God-fearing people, God-worshipping people, who just don't see it. Are we too busy? Are we too wrapped up in our lives? Are we too self-absorbed? Are we too worried? Maybe we're just too worried about, about our, our own things. Not because we're bad people, but because maybe Maybe I need to surrender some of my worries to God. Ask yourself, and I'm asking myself tonight. There are so many horrors in this world, and I am completely oblivious to so many of them. Why? What can be done? to empty myself a little bit, to get a little bit less 
absorbed with myself. How? Our church is an expert with that. A little bit of self-emptying, a little bit of fasting, a little bit of praying, a little bit of just a little bit more. Usually fast till 11, fast till 11.30. Usually pray five psalms, pray six. Usually stand before God for 10 minutes before you go to bed, make them 11. A little bit of telling myself, take a chill pill, relax. But I'm tired, but my feet hurt, but that's great, good for you. You can stand a little longer. It's okay. A little bit of self-denial, a little bit of self-emptying, a little bit of being less full of ourselves. Another reason maybe we don't respond is because we don't know how to help. Look, I'm not going to sit and think about all the things that are not going right in this world if I can't do anything about them, if I don't know how to do something about them. I agree with you that you and I don't necessarily have the solution to every single one of the world's problems. I agree with you. But I know somebody who does, and I happen to have a direct line into his office. Other people don't. You and I do. He is the author of creativity. You want to know one of the fav devil's favorite lies? This is an expression I'm sure you've heard. You may have even, unfortunately, have heard it from me. We all say this sometimes. Sometimes you look at your choices and you say, gee, I have one choice which is bad and another choice which is worse. So limit your losses and pick the lesser of two evils. That is demonic thinking. Why? Because it means that there are only two choices. Well, what happened to the creator of the universe? Is he unable to create options C and D and E and F and G and H? What happened to him? Is he on holiday? You and I have access to the author of creativity himself. There's no such thing as a problem that doesn't have a solution. He has every solution. He has a miracle for every one of our problems. Did you know that there's over 350,000 species of beetles? Like, God is creative to another level, okay? What we, we, are, we measure in millimeters, He is creative in like kilometers. He is creative beyond our wildest imagination. And I go about life saying I have two options and they're both pretty bad. Pick the lesser of two evils. No. When you see a problem and you don't know what to do about it and you want to turn your face away and you want to turn a blind eye because you don't have the solution, stop. I should stop because I have access to the one who has all the solutions. I don't know, but he knows. Sometimes I know what a solution could be, but I just don't believe I can do anything about it. That's another reason why I don't perceive and I don't do. And that's just due to another lie. Another lie that the world tells us. All my life I grew up in school and people telling me to believe in myself. News flash, 
Scripture does not say to believe in yourself. Jesus never said believe in yourself. The Bible says believe in God. Jesus says believe in me. As long as I've trained myself and been conditioned to believe in myself, I'm bound to see things that don't have a solution or their solution is bigger than me. If I am the source of the power that's going to power the solution to this problem and this problem is bigger than me, guess what? I'm not going to pay any attention to it because even if I know the solution, I don't have the power to affect it. You and I have the opportunity, not everybody has it, to believe in God. The other thing which really gets me about St. Mary is she did something about it now. She did not procrastinate. I'll tell you something, the, the solution to procrastination is now. But we're going to get to that. I was discussing procrastination with one of the other fathers and he told me, you know, Abuna, procrastination is anti-biblical. told him, sorry, Abuna, like, I've never seen a verse in the Bible about procrastination. What are you talking about? He told me, he told me this, this, changed, this changed my perspective about what I do and when I do it. I hope it does that for you as well. He said to me, Abuna, the reason that we procrastinate is because I don't need to do this right now. And I don't need to do this right now because I can do this later. Because later, I'm assuming I have free time later. I have time which has not been accounted for later. Later, there's this block of time that I can tap into and I can do what I was supposed to do today or I could have done today, but I can do that tomorrow because I got time tomorrow. But you see, this, this whole, whole concept of procrastination stands on the idea that there's unaccounted time. If your day tomorrow is all booked solid from morning till evening, and your day after tomorrow is booked solid from morning till evening, and the day after that is booked solid from morning till evening, and you get the picture, then even if what you need needs to get done is not urgent, if you have time to do it, the only time to do it is today. If I believe that there's time that's unaccounted for, that's not biblical. Psalm 139 verse 6 says, every day is written in your book. God has a will and a plan and a desire for my repentance and my salvation and my holiness every single moment of every single day. And if he's brought this need into my life now and today, it's probably for a reason that has, guess what, something to do with today. I'm not speaking to you, by the way. You know, for the purposes of this talk, we could just put a mirror right here. I'm speaking to me. I'm speaking to me. St. Mary, the moment the angel departed from her, now she arose and she went. 
And you wager a guess. How far did she go? She was in Nazareth and she went to a city in Judea. Drawing a straight line from where she was to where she ended up is 130 kilometers. She didn't travel in a straight line. She traveled through hill country. She traveled a zigzag path for sure. How many days do you think it took her to travel 200 kilometers on foot in the first trimester of her pregnancy? Preg ladies who have been pregnant, you can tell us the most enjoyable trimester is your first trimester, right? No. You feel sick, you feel weak, when you feel dizzy, you feel weak to your knees, vomiting and all of that, all that happens the first trimester, the first third of the pregnancy. More than that, how old was she in her early teens? So now you have a 12, 13, 14 year old girl traveling. How many nights did she spend sleeping where? In the wilderness? She wasn't afraid of being assaulted, afraid of being raped, afraid of... She wasn't... She took... She wasn't afraid of any of that. I'm not suggesting that you should take unnecessary risks. I'm suggesting that St. Mary went to serve St. Elizabeth and it cost her something. There's a verse in the Old Testament, a story in the Old Testament, which kind of haunts me a little bit. King David, in, the, in his old age, made a big mistake. He held an unlawful census against the will of God. And God punished him. And Gab the prophet comes and tells him, God's given you three choices, and so on and so on. King David makes his choice, and then Gad the prophet tells him, go to the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite, and make an offering there, and God will remove the punishment. So King David goes, and he meets Arana the Jebusite, and he says, I need to make an offering. And what does Arana the Jebusite say? He says, whatever you need, whatever you want. Here are the oxen, here's Here's their yokes you can use as wood for the offering. Take it all for free. Here you go. What does King David answer him? This verse haunts me. It's so easy to remember. 2 Samuel 24, 24. 2 Samuel 24, 24. King David says to Arana, the Jebusite, I will not sacrifice to the Lord burnt offerings that cost me nothing. If it costs you nothing, it means nothing to you. What's so wonderful about the widow of two mites is that she gave all that she had. She gave from her necessity. She didn't give from her surplus. St. Mary gave something that cost her a lot. And she did it immediately. The solution to procrastination... You know, Nike almost got it right. Nike's slogan is just do it. 
they forgot one word if they wanted to give us the solution to procrastination. Just do something now. That is the solution. I am the king of procrastinators and those very simple words have solved it for me. Just do something now. Do something. Do anything. You don't have to fix the whole problem. You just have to get started. You have to write a paper, write a draft, write a paragraph, write an introduction, write an outline, put something down on paper. You're going to leave it to the last minute. When you get to the last minute, have something to look at. Random thoughts, ideas, brainstorming, put something down, doodle something, just start. You've perceived the need, say a prayer, Google it, ask your spiritual father for advice. I see hungry people on the street, I don't know what to do about it. What would you do about it, Abuna? Do something, anything, but just do something about it now, right now. Let's do, let's do a, a little experiment. Pause for one second now and think of a need that you know around you. Now what can you do about that right now? Pull out your phone, send a text message. I know this is the only time you're ever gonna hear a priest in the middle of a sermon tell you to pull out your phone. Pull out your phone right now, go for it. Google it. Facebook something to somebody. Ask somebody for help. Ask somebody to pray with you about it. Pray about it yourself. Do something about it now. What do you think the world would look like? What do you think the world would look like if we would do something, anything? Not the whole solution, just something. If every single person who saw a need did what they could in that moment and then carried on on their merry way, what would the world look like? And finish with telling, telling you a story. It's a true story. It's an experiment that was done in a university. In this university, they told a group of students individually, they did it as an experiment, so they did it one student at a time. They told them that, they're graduate students, that across campus a professor was supposed to be giving a talk and they weren't able to go so they're asking these graduate students to fill in to go give this talk across campus and they told them that the talk was supposed to start in 20 minutes and along the way they planted someone who was physically in need of help someone who was in like medically compromised someone who was acutely ill like in the moment was sick 
and they removed all bystanders. They made sure that no one else was around. Guess how many of those graduate students stopped to help that person? Guess. Let's just, let's just say, how, let, let's, let's just have a show of hands. How many of you are really optimistic about the world? You would say 80% of people stop to help. Okay, maybe less optimistic. How many of you would say 50%? 50% of people stop to help someone who was medically in need and no one else was there to help them. Okay, how many of you are like really pessimistic about the world? You say like 20%, 20% stop to help them. Few hands coming up. The study showed 10% actually stopped to help. You know what the kicker is? So now I can put the mirror back up and I can point it at myself. Those weren't just any graduate students, they were seminarians. So they were like religious study students in preparation for ordination. And the talk they were going to give was about the Good Samaritan. The gospel is really simple and St. Mary lived it out. She lived the gospel before it had been written or before it had been preached by Jesus. She lived it. She lived today's gospel that was read in Vespers. That if you give one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in my name, in the name of a disciple, I assuredly I say to you, you shall not lose your reward. Indeed, indeed, we learn from St. Mary to open our eyes and ears and hearts to perceive the needs that are around us and to do something about them right now. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me. My fathers absolve me. My brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers, please forgive me.